Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our special guest is Todd Mauti, partner at CBX, and we're going to talk about retail branding today. This episode is brought to you by Zeppelin. Design tools can do almost anything, and with Zeppelin they can go even further. Don't spend any of your time preparing design files for your team. Just let Zeppelin do it for you. No more dealing with unnecessary layers to show user journeys, explain intent, or organize screens. Get started for free at zeppelin.io. Hey, Todd. Hi, Jane. How are you? Doing great. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Before we get started on the topic, and, and the topic today is to give everyone a primer on the industry that you're a veteran of. Yes. Tell us your background story, what you do and how you got there. Sure. So it's actually probably a path that I didn't expect that I would take. As a kid, I was always into drawing. My mother wanted to keep me busy. She handed me a box of crayons and some paper. And so I went to school to be an artist. I actually had visions of being a fine artist. I either wanted to be a sculptor, but I was also a cartoonist. And, uh, I used to love doing cartooning. So majored in fine art, and I took a minor in marketing. So back in 1985, it was, I graduated with a fine arts degree and a marketing degree. At the same time, I also had a, a passion for cars. And so I paid my way through college through my job was making custom cars and painting hot rods in my early 20s. And then ironically, I, the, uh, my girlfriend at the time, her sister worked for an advertising agency and that advertising agency was growing and they were moving to a bigger office, which was really one floor up in their office building. And she by chance asked me to come up with an idea for an invitation. So that was actually my first job ever. And, I, and they actually paid me for it. And I think they gave me $100 to do that, that project. And so for me, I was just excited to be doing it. My parents were saying, hey, you've got, you've got two college degrees and you're painting cars. We'd love for you to use your degree. So I came up with an idea for an invitation that was really interesting. Back then, you know, digital design really didn't exist. Everything was done in an analog fashion. So when we wanted to sell an idea, you had to draw it on a piece of paper. And then if we didn't like the drawing, we had to redraw it and redraw it and redraw it. So everything was done in an old analog fashion. So I, I cut apart a shoe box and made a box and then made a three-sided box inside the box and put a, a spring underneath it so that when you open the box, the three-sided box lifted up almost like you were looking inside an elevator. And then I drew cartoon characters of all of the employees carrying furniture like they were moving to a new space up to the next floor. And that was a fun little project. I finished it. Then I, and then, you know, we had to build it the old analog way. I made a prototype and then they went, I did all the illustrations and then they printed it and produced it. And ironically, that won a variety of international design awards. And then a small agency called the Special Projects Group, uh, which were two big advertising executives that started a small agency in New Jersey, called me. Out of the blue, I remember I was I was in the garage working on a 1967 Camaro. I can remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> and they asked me if I wanted a job to be an illustrator on the Castrol Oil account. So I 
quit the job at the garage and I said, I'm going to go for it and, and started as an illustrator at this advertising agency. Eight years later, the agency grew 10 times in its size. And I was the creative director at the end of eight years running that agency. And I was in, responsible for all of the creative product that came out of the agency. And, and, and it was a fun agency because we worked on really unique initiatives, whether it was launching the NFL on ESPN, launching Adidas's new sneakers, marketing wines for Mouton Cadet Wines, designing all of the advertising and promotional materials for Castrol Oil on a global basis, doing direct mail for Citibank and Visa and MasterCard. And then I kind of said, you know, I think I can do this on my own. So I quit and I opened up my own advertising agency on Canal Street in, in New York City. And I, I worked out a deal with the owner of a printing agency. He had a printing company. And I said, I'll give you free design work if you will do all my printing for me, if you give me office space. So I set up an office and then I landed Sony as an account. I was launching all of the new digital recording equipment for Sony. I was working with Citibank and ESPN. And then I sold that agency two years later to a big, bigger agency. And then this is when Macintosh really started to come into play as a design tool. And this is back in the day where this term might be for foreign to people is we used to have to spec type. So when you were doing an ad, you had to figure out with a ruler, how big the letters and the spacing between everything needed to be, and then go to a company to have them set the type, and then we would glue it down on paper. And I said, look, we got to convert to digital. And they didn't want to do it. And I said, look, I can't go to Sony with you know marker drawings. I need to go in there with digital design. So they didn't want to convert, and, and so then I just left. I quit. I took the summer off. I learned how to play golf. I played golf all summer. And then I have since forgotten how to play golf because I don't play golf that much <laughs> anymore. And then, interestingly, through a friend of a friend, I met the vice president of marketing from a company that was a, was a technically a food broker, a food sales and marketing company. And they represented manufacturers who made food products to retailers who wanted to create private label products. And he asked me to start an advertising agency for them. So to be honest with you, I didn't want the job, but you know, I didn't make a lot of money selling the agency and doing all that stuff. And I was only in my late twenties. So I took the job purely going in and saying, you know what? I didn't want to go from marketing ESPN and the NFL and Adidas sneakers to selling string beans in a can for a local retailer. But I said I needed, I needed the paycheck, so I took the job. And I ended up staying there for 15 years. I built an advertising agency for them. Then we got into package design. We built a $30 million package design firm. We started to get into how do we better understand the consumers that we serve. And so then we built a research company. And we had research associates in 40 different countries. And at the same time, this company, which was a smaller company in New York, in New York, blossomed into a $13 billion company with 120 offices in 40 countries. So then I became the vice president of marketing and I was running marketing and all their design businesses for about 10 or 15 years. And it got really corporate for me. I was, I was less engaged in the creative product and more engaged in making sure the spreadsheet numbers looked right. <laughs> 
And then I met the owner of C- one of the uh, partners, founding partners of CBX. And they were very intrigued with the retail branding space on how to help retailers build a brand. So I left that job and joined CBX as a partner. I was actually uh, running our San Francisco office. We had an office in Minneapolis, San Francisco, and New York. And then the rest is history. I've been there for the last 15 years. We now have two offices. Uh, we merged the, the San Francisco office into the New York and Minneapolis offices about 10 years ago. And at, at CBX, we're a branding agency that helps large, large and small consumer packaged goods companies across a variety of different channels of trade. We work with retailers in 10 different channels of trade, helping them understand how their brand comes to market, what their stores should look like, how do they attract consumers, how do they design private label packaging. And we do an enormous amount of strategic work is really kind of helping customers understand the purpose of their brand, right? It, it's, it's, it's become a, an industry around guiding a purpose for what their brand is trying to accomplish in a marketplace. And we have about 85 people across two offices covering everything from verbal strategy to design strategy to uh, brand architecture, positioning. We have 2D designers that can design anything from retail stores to packaging to advertising and collateral. We do web design, not on the technical side of web, more the creative side is how does that brand translate into a, a web presence? And then we also do a lot of activation, which is trying to help our customers figure out once they've decided what their brand is going to be and what their package is going to look like, how do they market and promote it? So I'm based out of our New York office, you know, due to COVID, I've been spent the last two years working out of my den. You know, I think with the development of technology, we've made the transition to going remote a good one, you know, and it was a concern for us because we're in a creative industry and creativity is really thriving off of interaction with people. And and thankfully there's some great technology tools out there that allow our teams to stay connected, whether they're in New York or whether they're in Minneapolis or whether in California and Texas, they're working together um, to develop creative solutions for our customers. Thank you for sharing this heartwarming story. It's, you know, both a personal and digital transformation that you went through, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, two questions. Do you even get to paint any cars now? Or <laughs> do you get to do any hands-on work now in terms of design? <laughs> you know, I went through a midlife crisis a few years ago, probably a little more than a few years ago. So I, I, uh, I did buy a car. I have an old 1977 Datsun, which was one of my favorite cars, which is actually currently in the shop right now. And I, I do have plans on painting that car someday. So, <laughs> so I, I will go back to painting a car someday soon. From a design perspective, uh, you know, it's interesting. When, when I came up in the industry, as I mentioned earlier, it was very analog. It was about what's the idea. And then you would draw that idea on a piece of paper, and then you would have to call what we called a marker comp back then. It was a marker comprehensive to sell the idea to a client. And, and it's interesting. I think the big change that I've seen over the industry with the advancements of technology, 30 years ago, we walked in and we tried to sell an idea, right, with the concept of what the design would look like, right? Because it wasn't perfect because I, you know, either I or one of my artists drew it. But they got the idea. It was really about the foundational concept where today, you know, our designers are so talented and the technology is so advanced that when we're designing ideas, they look like finished products. And I find that the creative evaluation process has gotten very focused on details instead of the big idea. 
which was interesting. So back in 1985 or 88, somewhere around there, Macintosh was really breaking into the design world and was taking over a lot of businesses. You know, there were no more typesetters. There were no more mechanical companies. You didn't need to do all these different things because you could do it all on a Mac. You know, I, I needed to make a decision. Did, did I want to focus on being a creative person, developing ideas and solutions that creatively solve our, cha- our customers' problems or challenges or capitalizing on opportunities? Or did I want to get caught up in the technology on how to create that idea? And I, I made the very conscious decision that I didn't want to get caught up in the technology. So, so my role within the company is to kind of um, help work with our clients on the strategic side and the creative side. And then I do spend a lot of time with our teams involved in the creative product. You know, thankfully over my career, I've had the opportunity to work in 40 different countries. So I've been exposed to how things are done in Japan or China or South Africa, Eastern Europe. So that exposure and that experience is really great because that that um, that insight as to how things are being approached and solved across a variety of different markets, I think, provides an interesting perspective to kind of help our creative teams think and design a little bit differently and think outside the box. So for those designers who are listening to us today, could you give us a primer on how the industry of retail branding and retail packaging is structured in general and what are the terms that others should be on the outlook for? The retail branding industry is different, interestingly, by market, right? I think European markets are much more developed and that's really mainly because of the way the industry is set up. There are fewer retailers in Europe I'll just say focus on grocery grocery retailers in Europe than there are in the U.S. The U.S., it's a very fragmented business. It's a very regionally based business. There are only a handful of national retailers. Um, so they each approach it a little bit differently, where I think Eastern Europe is very brand-centric, um, and they have a very high penetration of sales with retail their retail brands, where the U.S. is a little lower penetration level because of that fragmentation. But you know, growing up in this industry, what, what, what I found, which is it's a great transformation and evolution that 10 years ago, I'll even say five years ago, it was a very product-centric led industry where if a national brand came out with a new cookie, the retail brands would come out with one shortly thereafter. They called them knockoffs. They would say, okay, customers like this product, we need to sell one too, and we need to sell it at 25% less. And it was really all about that product. How do I communicate that product benefit and product description in a package design? So it was very category and product-led. As of late, as retailers have gotten bigger and they've gotten a little more sophisticated in understanding their consumer markets and their competitive marketplace, and then now you've got more competition with with the Amazons of the world and digital, um, you know, a lot of direct-to-consumer distribution opportunities. We're seeing retailers really say, you know, who am I in this marketplace? What's my positioning in the marketplace? Am I a price player or am I Trader Joe's where I sell unique and differentiated products? Or am I Aldi where it's all about value or am I Walmart? It's really trying to figure out how does their brand relate to a customer? And then all of the products that live underneath it need to follow that same positioning. So 
the retail industry has gotten significantly more sophisticated around understanding their competitive set and their consumer, and then have all of the point of sale sales data to kind of understand how products and categories perform in different markets to different customer targets. They've gotten very uh, strategic about how what we call the master brand, which is the store name, plays a role in their product strategy, and then how it plays a role in premium products versus national brand equivalent products or value products. And that sophistication of insight has led to a very strategic process in understanding what is the purpose of this brand, how many products are going to live in this brand, and then how do I design the communication strategy around that brand, whether it's a package, whether it's their website, whether it's their advertising or promotional strategy. So the industry has gotten significantly more sophisticated. And then on top of that, because in retail brands, like an example, there's Coke and Coke has a variety of different products within the carbonated soft drink and Coca-Cola, right? But not hundreds. You know, if I work with a retailer on average, they have 5,000 different products to sell. Everything from lettuce to dog food to aspirin to dish soap to paper towels to milk to eggs. And creating a creative solution or designing a creative solution that will work on eggs and laundry detergent is a very interesting challenge because the dynamic and the, the way a consumer shops milk is different than the way they shop laundry detergent. One's all about performance. The other one's all about freshness. And thinking about a creative solution, whether it's a common design or a category-specific design across those categories has become very complex. And so in addition to be able to try to think of a creative solution that can work across a vast number of products, there's an operational side to it from a designer's perspective, which is how do I get that done now? So now I need to take a design idea and a brand idea and apply that to 7,000 different products. And that could be everything from a box to a bag to a label to a shrink wrap and, and make sure that that brand comes off consistently. So a combination of strategists to figure out who am I trying to appeal to and how, research experts to understand the dynamics of the category, then designers to translate that into an idea and then a production team to say, okay, I need to design 7,000 products in 24 months. <laughs> That's a lot of work. I mean, you're doing hundreds and hundreds of designs on a weekly basis to get those products to market through the manufacturing community and then into a store. The other challenge is in, in retail branding, the products are made by hundreds of different manufacturers. So when, when we work with Companies like Frito-Lay or General Mills, they own all their manufacturing. They make Cheerios. So we work with their marketing team and their branding team who has a direct line to the manufacturer to kind of help us understand the dynamics of the package and the structure and their printing capabilities. When we work with a retailer, most retailers don't make products. We do have a few customers that do, but they work with other manufacturers. So now from a business management perspective. So from idea to finished product on the shelf, we have the retailer involved, the manufacturer involved, 
creative agency involved, the printer involved, the production company involved, the photographer involved, the illustrator involved. So it's a very complex communication strategy to get from an idea to a finished product. And so a solid, what we call client service team, is critically important to managing the relationship and the supply chain of getting from get the design approved to get the artwork approved, to get the mechanical right, to get the production printing right, to get the proofs approved, to getting it printed, to making sure the printing was done right, and then get it in store. So it's a fairly complex process to, that goes behind developing it. And whether that's a retail brand or, or even just a consumer packaged goods, that process doesn't really change. The amount of players that are involved does. It's very interesting because when we went into this conversation, I had assumed, being not an industry insider, that uh, retail branding includes all branding, be it by store or by what you called consumer packaged goods, uh, basically by one brand being distributed in multiple stores. But now I see that retail branding is essentially a term, a more narrow term that only describes brands that are created by individual stores or not Correct. stores, how do you call it? Store yeah. labels, yeah. Uh, store networks. <laughs> yes, right. By, by a retailer. Right. That's absolutely mm -hmm. right. So like when Lidl, an Eastern European company, was coming to the US, they hired us to help them take the, and I, want, I don't want to say it was the exact product portfolio because the products that they sell in, in Europe will be different than the ones they sell in the US, um, was to help them figure out how to design all of the Lidl packaging for the US. So we work directly with Lidl's management along with their design. They have a design and marketing department, and then they'll have category experts. This guy's an expert on fresh produce. This person's an expert on dog food. This person's an expert on frozen foods. And then we work with those individual teams to think about what is the design strategy for that product mix within that given category under a Lidl, what we call a banner, retail banner name. And Lidl doesn't use their name on any of their products, right? So it was we had to do it by category. But a Lidl would also carry other brands in their on their shelves, right? They do. Very few, but mm -hmm. they do. Someone like Trader Joe's, 95% of what they sell is under the Trader Joe's name. Mm -hmm. If I go to someone in the US, like a say a Kroger, Kroger, the average grocery store, will have on average, 40,000 different products in the store. So if private label is five to 7,000 items, it's roughly 10 or 15% of the items are made for the retailer under the retailer's brands. The other 85% are national brands. So from a creative challenging standpoint, the process of coming up with a solution is really understanding what the product mix will be and what are the dynamics in the retail environment? Where is it going to sit on the shelf and who is it going to sit next to? So if we're designing a carbonated soft drink, a cola product, we know we're going to compete with Coke and we're going to compete with Pepsi and there might be some other regional brands. How does our brand fit within that category to either compete or communicate whatever they want to communicate, which could be value or it could be you know unique flavors and stuff. So, so most retailers, uh, 10 to 15% of the products they sell are their own products and 
80 to 85% of the products are national brands or regional brands. Is it in the number of labels or is it in the volume sold? Number of labels. Uh, but does it mean that they would ha- sell more of their, like, let's say, high-value house brand uh, more than Coke because of better price, better value ratio, depend- for example? That really depends on the category. So mm-hmm. I, I would say that uh, in retail branding, commodity-driven categories, bread, milk, eggs, mm-hmm. frozen vegetables, retailers sell more of those because they're more ingredient-based and and milk is milk and broccoli is broccoli and water is water. But when you get into categories like cookies and carbonated soft drinks and laundry detergents and paper towels, the brands tend to dominate, right? Because they have very large advertising budgets. They have very big product development budgets. They tend to lead on the product innovation side where retailers tend to follow. Um, It's always been a risk averse business for a retailer because the retailer would allow the manufacturer to be the expert in the category. So, so Coke and Pepsi are the experts in carbonated soft drinks. Let them innovate the product. And then once they do, then I will copy that product or try to match that product with my private label to offer a better value proposition. So the industry has always pretty much been led from a product standpoint by the consumer packaged goods companies which is starting to shift because retailers are now starting to gain a better understanding of who their customer is. And with the enormous amount of information that they have, like with loyalty cards, the retailers that I shop at know that I buy toothpaste four times a year (laughs) because they can look at my purchase history. And then they will market and advertise, promote deals and offers for those items at an appropriate time. So So retailers have become very sophisticated in understanding who their customer is, how that customer shops their stores, and how they behave in in the laundry detergent aisle versus the pet food aisle. And that information has given them a little bit of an edge over the consumer packaged goods companies because the consumer packaged goods companies will look at that on a national level. They're going to look at it at a level just in my store. So they've become much more sophisticated in understanding not only what products they should sell, but how they should sell them and then how they should be branded and how they should be packaged. The one deficit that I think retail brands have is they do not have the advertising and marketing budgets that consumer packaged goods national brands have. So Coke spends a lot of money on advertising and sponsorships and you know has their name on stadiums and, and, and big advertising dollars where, where retail brands don't do that. And they, they do that to keep the price point down to have a value proposition for the customer. As a creative professional, based on your story, I imagine you have had a chance to present your creative work to private labels, national labels, versus mm-hmm. presenting your creative work to retail brands. What is the difference in you know, the approach in how the general creative process is handled by them? Because I imagine, like you mentioned, designing something for Coke would have much more to do with the spirit of the their specific brand and whatever yeah. they want to communicate specifically in this category, while this is more of a giant systemic branding effort across multiple categories. Yeah. You know, I, I'll say uh, from a positive perspective, and this is probably over the last five years, 
um, the brand development process that's used for Coke and then used for a retailer are very similar. There might be nuances and differences of the amount of data that we do or the amount of research that we do. And then the one thing that retailers have as a benefit over the Cokes is they can take that overall investment in determining the brand strategy and the overall design look and feel, and then spread that across thousands of items. So the creative and development process is fairly similar for both. The difference with a retail brand is that that's done across the board and then it becomes really an execution process, which is how do I then take that information and that brand strategy and apply that to thousands of SKUs? So they get to amortize that investment over a greater set. You know, I also do think that the big national brand companies invest heavily in understanding purchase intent. They have an enormous amount of awareness and equity in the marketplace. So you know, if you're doing a project for a large consumer packaged goods company, they're going to want to understand what does the customer think now about my brands so that when I do the next thing, uh, how am I addressing the good uh, or the bad in, in what the consumer perception is? So, and then they're, and then, then they're going to probably test and validate those ideas significantly more than a retailer will. So I would say probably the one area where private label may not invest as as much as maybe on the research side, but that also varies. You know, you look at someone like a Kroger or a Walmart, which are very large and and even Target, very large national retail brands in the U.S. I mean, their private label business on a total aggregate dollar basis is bigger than Coke or Pepsi. Uh, You know, Walmart's private label business has got to be well into the billions and billions of dollars that they sell private label because they sell private label across the entire store. <laughs> Everything from, you know, golf balls to heads of lettuce and, and bread. So they're billion dollar businesses for retailers and they've become very, very, very sophisticated. And others from a branding perspective, like I think one of the best in the industry is a company like Trader Joe's where they've strategically aligned everything that they have in a really well-defined way. They have a very fun and little quirky personality from Trader Joe's. Their stores are very engaging. Their employees are very friendly. They all wear Hawaiian shirts here in the U.S. and They've got handwritten chalkboard signs for promotional signs. If you look at their advertising vehicle, which is called the Fearless Flyer, it's very well written and very creative information about products. This is what a person opinion of one. I don't think their package design is gorgeous package design, but it's very much on brand because the packaging is quirky and it tells a fun little story about the product. And then the products themselves are very fun and unique and different. You find very cool stuff at Trader Joe's. So everything they do from the shopping environment, to the customer service, to the uniforms, to the products, to the packaging, to the advertising is all perfectly aligned to tell a very unique and differentiated story. Um, Where I'll say uh, conventional retailers, like a traditional grocery store or mass merchandiser or club store, sells mainstream products. They sell Coke, they sell basic paper towels, they do all this stuff. So so they don't have 
100% control over everything that's sold. Well, they do have 100% control of everything that's sold in the store. But Coke is Coke, and Pepsi and Pepsi, and Bounty is Bounty, and um, Cheerios are Cheerios. So they have to they have to balance national brand messaging with their own private label messaging. So um, it's gotten significantly more sophisticated. Uh, and then I think with the with the growth of online shopping. Retailers are getting much more sophisticated with how they market and promote their brands in a digital environment where consumers are now much more receptive to having products just picked out for them and delivered to their house. In terms of who is executing on all of this, is it always the agencies and possibly the same agencies that would work on developing national brands versus private labels for retail stores? I would say as of late, yes. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I would say 10 years ago, the design industry that supported retail development was very fragmented and not that sophisticated. In some cases, the manufacturer that made the product was doing the design and providing the photography just because it was cheaper to get it done that way. Um, I think as the private label business has evolved, agencies like ours and other large agencies are coming in and making it a much more strategic and creative process. Because you know, if you looked at private label packaging 20 years ago, it was a white label that said green beans on it. <laughs> and it was cheap. Then when they were trying to improve a quality story, they made it look like the national brand. So they were they were like mimicking the national brands. And now it's all about what is my brand and then how do I translate my retail brand perception onto a product and package. So I will say, depending on the retailer, there's cases where we as an agency manage everything soup to nuts. We do all the strategy, we do all the design, we do all the photography, we do all the illustration, we do all the production. And in others, we do all the creative product and then we work with production companies that are just experts in producing mechanical files to get it ready to go to printing. And then there's others where... It's a very collaborative process amongst different agencies. So with one of our customers, we do the brand strategy and the design for packaging. We also do all of the creative strategy for how it lives online and lives on Facebook and in social media. But then we work with a digital advertising agency. We work with their internal advertising agency. We work with their production company. And we work with their printing firms to make sure all of that works together. So depending on the retailer, the process and the companies that are used to develop and execute can vary greatly. How does a designer get into the creative part of this in an agency? Or is there only way up from, you know, being a production designer, uh, typesetting hundreds of labels and then finally you'll be able up to go up and uh, and do the actual design of those that makes sense you know I, i would say again because i've been doing this longer than i care to admit i would say the old way was come in at the bottom do the basic production production work and work your way up to a creative product i think now mm -hmm. it's a little bit different we've got experts that come in on production and they lead and they become very high in the organization from production expertise standpoint. But we also have people coming in as junior designers, very junior designers right out of school that work their way up to being, you know, associate creative directors. And because uh, the one thing about the creative industry 
designing a package takes one skill set. Directing a designer or team of designers to think about what the design should be takes a little bit of a different skill set. Right, so one, I'm sitting on the computer saying, how do I make these colors all match? And how do the fonts look? And where does the photography sit? And how does that look within this you know, frame that I have for, for producing a package is one thing. But then coming in as a creative director or a design director and trying to inspire creative teams to come up with different ideas is a very different job. So, so I'll say the ironic thing too is we've had designers navigate over into the client service space. They just were very engaging with clients and knew how to sell design and merchandise design. They've gone from being designers to being client service people. We've had designers become strategists. We've had strategists become designers. So it's really an interesting thing because it's it's really talent-based um, and it's a creative product that they're producing. Um, some stay in a very narrow channel about the technical side of how a package design gets produced. The creative side, because there are strategists and designers and creative directors and illustrators and photographers, um, they really have the opportunity. And one of the things we love to do in our agency is give them the opportunity and give them, get them exposed to the strategic side of the business and the client side of the business. So there's really not a clear path on the creative side as much as there was years ago. Do you feel like each of your projects is still a creative challenge to get the right thing out to impress someone? Or do you feel it's just all about craftsmanship and you already know it works best and it's just about finding the most appropriate solution and everybody understands that. So there is no like, creative drama over the projects no i think there's lots of creative drama still um, is <laughs> yeah there still is yeah it's a very it's a look the, the challenge is is trying to take a very subjective skill set of creative talent you could love blue and i could love red it doesn't make you right or me wrong right so there's a subjectivity in the design and creative space always that, that is like that and selling that is too understated <laughs> thing which is why which is why the methodology is really really important so so we, we kind of follow a process where there's an immersion into what is the challenge one get to know the customer get to know the consumer get to know the category all of the date those data inputs and then whether it's a creative team doing it or the combination of a creative and strategy team working together with the client service team is they take all of those data inputs and some of it could be historical perception knowledge and then future thinking knowledge along with what's happening today to come up with an idea and a hypothesis of what the solution could be. The one thing I will say in the creative space is that methodology and approach that we have does try to create, I'll call them guardrails. Because a creative person, if I say, hey, Jane, give me an idea for a new premium pet food. I mean, you can go this way or this way or this way or this way or this way. There's no context for even for me to how to evaluate or guide you. So we use the creative and strategic process to kind of say, okay, this pet food is super premium. It's all natural. It's about health and wellness for the longevity of your pet. Um, there's very strong standards around 
the efficacy of the product, the natural nature of the product, the no preservatives. So now all of a sudden I'm starting to live in a space. And then we look at the competitive set and say, how are other competitors or other brands telling that story to the consumer? So we, we come up with what we call platforms. And the platform tends to become a, a board, an, a, a designed board of images, colors, fonts, and language to say, I can go this very natural feeling route, or I can go this very scientifically formulated around natural products route. And, and that's just like an, an idea. So then you give those platform boards to designers and say, design within this space. Well, well I'll say this. We get those approved by the client first. So the client will say, yes, I love that natural way and I love that scientific way. So then now the designers come in and design within those territories. Um, and then we as a creatives need to evaluate what we think tells that story the best. And then we narrow that down to probably three designs here and three designs under this bucket. And then we present those to the client. So now when the client's evaluating it and they say, I don't like red, like, but, but I, I would never say it this way. I don't care if you don't like red. Red's, <laughs> red's not red wasn't part of that platform color. So we've agreed these. This was the color palette. These were the type of fonts. This was the type of messaging. This is the way we were going to stylize the photography. So it gives everybody in the room context to say, are these designs that we did, these concepts telling that story that we agree to in that territory board so it gives context and then there's always a revision and we always have you know the examples of where we what we call it is frankensteining take a little bit of this one and a little bit of that one and put it together and the answer is somewhere in the middle so having a very solid methodology and approach on how we're going to tell that design story and give all parties involved, the guidance to understand what that story is helps the creative evaluation process and also channels that creativity. Um, you know, so, you know, a lot of people will think, well, oh no, you're stifling the creative because you're saying you can only design in this space. No, there's, there's a million ways to create a scientific looking package for pet food. <laughs> it just channels that creativity. What you're describing, that process for a new pet food package, would that be happening within the context of the general brand guidelines for this particular retail store? Or It could be. It could mm -hmm. be. You know, those mm -hmm. are some of the strategic decisions that need to be made. So some, some retailers, I'll, I'll give you a good example. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's is on every product in the store. Now, each design, each product might look different based off of the category, but Trader Joe's is on every single product. You go to Target, which is one of the most recognized retail brands in the United States, this big red bullseye logo on the outside of the store. If you go into Target store, that logo, which has unbelievable global recognition, is not on one product. There's a name for food. There's a name for organic. There's a name for fashion. There's a name for athletics. There's a name for pet food. There's multiple names for pet food. I got Kindful on the healthy side. I've got another name on the other side. So, so they use a very different strategic approach where they have hundreds of brands that are trying to shape what Target stands for in the customer's mind, where Trader Joe's uses it all singularly under the Trader Joe's name. 
to tell that story. So th- there's not a right or wrong answer. Um, it's a matter of being thoughtful in the process and determining uh, if that retailer's equity makes sense in the pet food category. It's it's kind of like, would I want to put a national drugstore chain's name, say Walgreens or Rite Aid here in the U.S., on pet food? Probably not, right? Because Rite Aid is known as being a pharmacy, <laughs> uh, not a pet food expert. So, um, so we look at those dynamics on where the value will be to kind of execute against what their 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 objective is in the category. So, in some cases, the retailers may might make a lot of sense and follow that same design strategy that I'm using across the store, and in others, it doesn't. I would say that there are trends that certain big categories, whether it's baby or pet food um, or organic and natural tend to start to pull away from the banner name of the retailer and and kind of stand up, stand on their own as a as a freestanding brand we don't have too much time left but i still got a couple questions for you and that would be in terms of the general guidelines or approaches how often would a retail store a retail chain overhaul things like what is the cadence in years just curious if you have information on that and how does the retail space and the store design play into that and how often that is overhauled and if you help them with that it's like a kind of worms i'm sorry (laughs) that's a that's a great question and i'll tell you honestly jane it's it's something that it's, it's a thorn it's been a thorn in my side for for years um the one thing legacy Legacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like look, consumer packaged goods companies, national brands are constantly evaluating: is their package right? And will evolve, evolve their brand over time and very frequently. Where retailers tend to put a design out there now to get five thousand SKUs done could take three years. So by the time I finish the last design, the first design I did three years ago might be outdated. (laughs) Now, what we try to help our customers understand, our retail customers understand, is that the dynamics in cookies is very different than it is in milk. So cookies are constantly evolving and promoting and creating new flavors and new line extensions and heavily advertising and promoting, you might want to change your cookie packaging more frequently because that's how the category works. Milk is milk. So well, yogurt versus milk for for that sense, right? Right. So so uh, I, I would say most retailers uh, embark on a redesign because someone walks the store and says, our packaging looks old. We need to redo it. It's not an overly sophisticated process. And I would say the average design cycle is between seven to 10 years. So it really comes to a point where the design is dated and needs to be updated. Uh, I think that's changing a little bit, a little slower than I would like. That's one area where maintaining relevancy in your design uh, has not evolved as fast as the evolution of how strategic designs are created. And that's, that's an area of opportunity for a lot of retailers. Therefore, when you design, you look for timeless and versatile in your work versus cutting edge modern. No, we don't. We don't look for timeless. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We don't take the operational challenges and take that into account when we're doing a creative problem. Um, so, trying to solve a creative problem, 
There are certain categories where we will think about timelessness because those they are timeless categories. Other categories, not so much. So uh, that is definitely an area where retailers can improve. And that last part of question about the retail space and uh, store design. I would say no, for the most part. In some cases, very much so, yes. Look, retail stores are distribution centers for consumers. People go there to buy products. Um, so we do spend a lot of time of trying to understand how products sit next to each other and how they perform against each other. Retailers now, look, I can go into a flagship Target store and it's gorgeous and beautiful, or the city stores are beautiful. And I can go into one in a small town in the Midwest and it's not so nice. So I do think in some cases, if we understand the dynamic of how they're using the environment as a marketing tool versus a way to distribute products, you can align those a lot more. I would say this, if we work with certain retailers that are more on the natural side, because we, we do work with specialty retailers that are just in the natural and organic space, I am not probably going to go super modern, contemporary, shocking, minimalist design because it won't translate into what they really stand for. So I will say that um, the overall aesthetic of the retailer if they have a specialty niche, there's a lot more strategic alignment of the two. In general, grocery, food, drug, mass, um, not so much. If you were to give advice to a designer who wants to do more packaging in general, would you recommend to them to niche down in a certain like vertical, like, I don't know, alcohol drinks like period and that's all you do and that's how you better build a career or is it easier to be a generalist so you can ease it into an agency and then continue a path there jane that's a great question um another thorn in my side in this industry uh <laughs> is uh if, if i if i haven't designed a lot of packaging and electronics it doesn't mean i can't design an electronics package the methodology and the approach to creative problem solving is the same. It's just the inputs are different. So if somebody asked me to solve a pet food package and a, a new digital phone package, I would follow the same creative problem solving process. It's just this would be information about pet food. And this would be information about phones. And then how do I apply that? So I personally think that a generalist is a better approach than it is to focus on a specific category. There are agencies that we compete with that are experts in adult beverage, right? They do a lot of alcohol packaging and they're seen as the experts and they will tend to get more clients in those categories, which I think is a, is a, is a mistake, right? Because our jobs are to create beautiful package designs for our clients and we have a very strong methodology to approach that. So I would recommend for, for designers and creative um, to explore a variety of different categories and be more of a generalist because uh, it's a very uh, educational process to understand the dynamics of how consumers uh, and the customer actually behave and think within those categories. It's really great insight. I, fi I found that having more global experience and lots of different channels experience and lots of different category experience 
has been a wealth of knowledge for me to kind of say, hey, well, they do this in pet food. Does that apply here? And can we think of those nuances over here? So uh, I think the broader your experience, the better. What are some great resources online to get um, inspiration and idea of what's happening? And as I was a uh, a designer many years ago, I, I really liked following the dialine.com for design That's inspiration. But is there any other, other with more industry context where there is actual like design uh, insider marketing information about the underlying uh, thinking, not just the pretty uh, packaging? You know, it's, it's uh, like the dialine for me is just inspirational from seeing great package design out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We use a tool that's called um, Mintel. It's really a, a, a database of information of syndicated data. So it, it does reports around here's what's happening in the entire pet food industry, everything from manufacturing to supply chain to product development to everything. And they have a tool called NPD, which is New Product Database. And they have teams of people around the world that are uploading new and unique products every day. And I find that to be unbelievably inspirational because whether it's somebody that's taking pet food and putting it into a different package, putting it into a tube (laughs) versus a pouch or something. And I find the uniqueness of packaging to be very, very inspirational. The dye line, I think, is just inspirational on, on really good creative solutions. So um, I, I'm a fan of new products uh, because I think that's really where out-of-the-box thinking is really, really happening. Well, thank you so much for the uh, thoughtful episode today. It, it's been great to have a sneak peek into your industry. Where thank can you, people Jane. find your personal uh, doings and your company online? Yeah, so we're, I'm a partner at CBX. Uh, you can find us at www.cbx.com. Uh, if anybody wanted to reach me, my email is very simple. It's Todd at cbx.com. And feel free to reach out if you have any questions or uh, any thoughts or about the industry or, or any, I, any just general questions about the industry. I'd be glad to help. Well, thanks so much, Todd, once again, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Uh, thank you, Jane. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much.